1: So HBO announced that they're gonna have some Game of Thrones spin-offs that they're developing. Uh you have any favorite topics that you want to see? I won't even necessarily ask you about characters. Maybe that's a little too deep for us. Well, I'd say young Ned would be fun. Oh. Right? There's there's definitely some stuff to mine there. I mean it kind of depends on how the uh if the is the Tower of Joy flashback over?
0: I don't know. That's yes, that's a that's a good question. I was thinking we're talking like younger Ned than that, like between um hodor um getting the the dumb put into his head and the tower of joy
1: yeah i mean there's there's a lot of stuff there and you know young him and kicking it with robert and we, i mean we didn't want to see any young robert right in the in there in the tower no of joy, we Joy. So. yeah could be some stuff i don't know i could go i could go across the world i could know a little bit more about the doom of valyria yeah, that's the other one that I was thinking too. Doom of Valyria would be good. I guarantee you, they're thinking Doom of Valyria. Like that's that's like entering the conversation. Really? Well, it's like that's... well, I think I mean I think that there's a good reason to go for something that's totally different. You know, start just from total scratch, and you can make whatever you want. Although I guess Valyria would be expensive because you're probably running a ton of special effects. Yeah, that would be very
0: expensive, and it would be hard because you're in. You're gonna have that like shiny and new issue that you had with mm. uh the prequels star wars prequels where it was like we kind of like the grunginess and then valeria is supposed to be cleaner i always hate when the past was cleaner than the present
1: i mean but i would love i mean you know i loved seeing jorah getting the grayscale in that in that area you know yeah yeah i'd love definitely. to see love to see that stuff built up i mean just like uh, uh <laughs> magical venice i don't know
0: yeah oh definitely um, the lady was mentioning, like, what if it was a young Benjamin Stark story? Mm. Just, like, killing stuff beyond the wall? That
1: could be pretty good. We could that go for that. Good.
0: Anything. We could do the Age of Legends, too, as well. Like, with the uh, Children of the Forest hanging out with the the First
1: Men. That would... Ooh. Yeah. Why not? I, I could get behind that. How... Yeah. Know, this is How different do they want to go? All right. We actually have our own Game of Thrones spin-off, though, as you you brought up last week, right? Yeah, so
0: we made the hitting clusters, named them after uh, Game of Thrones characters, archetypes, etc. So my favorite one, the easiest one to define, was the White Walkers, uh, the guys who are just overpowering, just like, can't stop them. Zimmerman, Harper, Judge... And Mr. Thames. But I reran the clustering algorithm again, and we have some new additions after this last week. Mr. Goldschmidt, Freeman, and then two people near and dear to your heart, Mr. Watteau, and let it snow... <laughs>
1: Let it yeah, it's sort of like a sort of like a bittersweet thing there because I mean, as as we have talked about before, how badly I wanted to get Sano on my team at some point, and uh, I sold quite a bit of my team to get Votto, but it was well worth it. I mean, he's he's back to three years ago form currently. Yeah, yeah, ish. I mean, I, it's not going to last forever, but it's it's realer than Zimmerman. Uh, all right. Well, this week. We're actually basically doing a a big part two of last week's podcast. Eric's going to talk about k-means again, take two, take on pitching this time, and I'm going to finally get to the numerator and try and put everything together with trying to understand batting average and what we can forecast for that. Take it away, Eric.
0: Last week, I walked everyone through the statistical method slash machine learning technique called k-means clustering. I walked through a quick example using fantasy hitters as a sniff test for the methodology. The point of the exercise was twofold. One, I wanted to see whether I could get the method to work using data scraped directly from fantasy pros. That was a pretty big success and hopefully Mike and I are going to use that web scraping um, logic independently. Number two, I wanted to see whether the method would create logical groupings, a.k.a. clusters of players. I really liked the results.
1: Mike, what did you think of the results? You know, there is something to be said for this approach, which I say reluctantly as I went on the record last week going against machine learning. But mm-hmm. uh, it helped me see some things that I, that I hadn't noticed before, intuitively. Um it really did function in the way that you intended. It grouped guys together that I hadn't thought of. Exactly. That's the um that's a big point of this.
0: Uh This is really a, a key the really the key is this is a data and dimensional reduction routine. Um it's a an assist to see past the sea of data and um and study some of the dissimilarities between different groupings of players. So what do I mean by this? Um, Validating k-means clustering in the hitting exercise meant looking at player stat lines within each cluster, determining whether they fit together or not. Um, It also meant gut checking by looking at names. For instance, great news, the method put Trout, Freeman, Goldschmidt, Rizzo, Arenado all in the same unsullied cluster. That makes total sense. Now, analyzing the results, on the other hand, was focusing on the names that you don't expect to fit in the group. So, whoa, Mitch Haniger is listed next to Rizzo. Maybe he's legit this year. Or Joey Gallo and Chris Bryant are, are um, playing Hansy in the Unsullied cluster as well. Maybe I should see if the owner of Gallo thinks he's as legit as these results imply. When you are looking at hundreds of active players, it's easy to get lost. I do a lot. Um, it's easy to let my biases take over, and it's easy to work off of old news. Have mm-hmm. you found this happening to you?
1: I certainly find it happening to me, and I can think of really easy cases in our league where we we've, we've made fun of owners for operating off of you know blue chippers from three four years ago. Mm-hmm. And it does happen. Yeah, I mean, and- it's it's easy to lose track of you know get set in your ways, especially as we get older. I guess
0: absolutely and you get stuck on players that a couple of years ago were supposed to be good and you're still waiting for them and all of a sudden it's you know seven years later and then they explode because they're ryan zimmerman having an amazing spring 2017
1: <laughs> oh, i thought you were. in i thought that was going to be a dig at me picking jason hayward again this year oh that that
0: as well <laughs> um this is a great method for characterizing players performances and highlighting players that may be overvalued um as well so stalwarts clustered with below average players um, good to see as well as the up-and-comers clustered with with good players so with all that in mind I wanted to try try the k-means clustering method on pitching this time instead of clustering players on their scoring categories I wanted to test on the, the method Using ancillary statistics to see if I can highlight some players whose quote stuff isn't matching up with their performances. What do I mean by this? Well, pitchers here—I'm talking about uh, s- starters—are um, scored in our league based on their ERA, wins, Ks, WHIP, cool beans. However, these aren't their only stats, and with the new advanced metrics, perhaps there are stats that are more exemplary of the player's underlying skill sets and therefore more predictive so i decided to take a look at pitchers k per 9 walks per 9 and fip to do this clustering how do you feel about
1: that mike i think you're on the right track with looking at an extra an extra element um in particular something that i assume that your thought process here was things that the pitcher has direct control over so yeah, exactly. They, you know, sometimes ERA and WHIP can be affected by um, external factors. Conditions. We know that for sure. So trying to grab um, something like FIP because you you want to get an a sense of the how many runs they let up, but also their component of the three true outcomes, the Ks per nine and, and walks as well. So yeah, I think this makes perfect sense. This is the right way to do it.
0: Right, and just a reminder, FIP is fielding independent. Um, pitching so it's a uh, the idea is that it's a measure that's supposed to be similar to ERA that's supposed to remove the fielding element to it so if you were to have a good defense behind you then your FIP should end up being a little bit higher than your ERA and vice versa if you have a bad defense behind you your um, ERA should actually look a little better Your FIP should look a little better than your ERA. Right? Am I characterizing that? Yep. Correctly, Mike? It's a lot more than that, unfortunately, but that's the gist of it. So, the approach. This time, I did my web scraping from fan graphs because they have more advanced pitching metrics. And Fantasy Pros does that stupid innings (laughs) rounding thing that's really hard to parse out. Um, So, again, I made seven clusters. Um, I think there's something to be said about odd numbers here in the clustering routines hmm. um, did these on the starting pitchers so um, Mike I've got a graph here of the clusters colored by um, walks, per, walks per nine to FIP there's a lot more interspersing here than there was with the um with the hitters Mm -hmm. but um once you see in three dimensions you can start to see it really separating out more
1: you're a little less a little less whimsical with your titles but very functional yeah
0: no i really had a i really had a cut to the uh, (laughs) cut to the core here (laughs) um so this time we had again seven clusters black red Cyan, yellow, magenta, green, blue are the colors that it randomly assigned to them. And the clusters end up being, uh, well, let's just go through them. Um, So the first cluster I came up with, low K regression candidates. Um, Not a lot of upside with these guys. Not many Ks, probably injured. (laughs) So then we got the matchup guys, Uh, folks that are startable against the right matchup. So innings eaters, uh, these guys um had a solid FIP that's not gonna really hurt you. That's not gonna that if you look at their FIP as a, an ancillary to or a you know, version of ERA, their ERA should not hurt you. Um they're they've got pretty good walks per nine, so their whip is probably gonna be pretty good. Um, uh, but not really enough K's to make you want to grab them mm-hmm. then we've got pitchers these guys were a focus in season zero of the pod um guys with high k totals who may be overlooked because of high higher than usual eras and whips i mean this was like the guys that you would expect matt andrizi lynn Gio, shoemaker fulton nevich Velasquez and Straley and your buddy Straley.
1: What? Well, Straley is a good pitcher. Why are you so mad at him?
0: There, and that's well. He's in this group, I guess. I mean, it makes a little bit more sense now because I think he's, I think he is definitely in this group. Yeah. Like a pitcher.
1: Yeah. And I drafted Straley and Geo to be capitures.
0: Pitchin, fitchin. Um, Quado is in this group though uh might be taking a little bit of a step back yeah. and then and then Corbin might be taking a step back back up in the other direction you you still can't forgive Corbin nope <laughs> and then Ariel Miranda all right, elite elite Um the best capitchers. So DeGrom, Ray, Salazar, Baby Pedro, and Wade Miley. I have a feeling Wade Miley is going to fall off here. But, you know, those other guys, that's exactly what they are. They are the, the creme de la creme of the capitching strategy. Uh, number two starters, you know, usual list, Lester, Garrett Cole, Porcello, Wainwright, Meta, Lackey, Fulmer, Grasco, Marco Estrada, these are the guys who are just one level below the aces out there. Um, who sticks out negatively though? Kluber, Archer, Strasberg. I think a lot of people drafted them as or kept them, hoping that they were aces, but they're taking a bit of a step step back right now. But on the positive side, Taiwan Walker, Jared Eikoff, Jason Vargas. And JC Ramirez. And then you got the aces. So Sale, Kershaw, Scherzer, Arietta. A couple of players making a return to ace status. Grinky, Paneda, Smarja, maybe. So then a couple of surprises, you're not gonna like this, but Paxton put in this group. <laughs>
1: I don't <laughs> I don't like it. I he's not real. It's not it he's not.
0: And then McCullers, Severino, and Morton. I'm a little su- I'm I mean I mentioned Morton in passing during the, some of the draft analysis, mm-hmm. like making a joke about him, but he's doing pretty well. All right, Just to rehash, there are a lot of players out there, and we're trying to help reduce the research burden by creating these clusters. Once we create clusters, we see who stands out and reevaluate those players. Um, instead of using scoring categories for our clustering, we used advanced metrics. These metrics should, in theory, correlate with uh, with scoring categories. The clusters paths a sniff test this time, so I'll say we put together a tool that will act a bit more as a forecasting tool. I don't know. Stay tuned.
1: Hi everyone. Before we get to my section, if you haven't had a chance to listen to my segment from last week's pod, I'd take a listen to that before we jump in. In the meantime, here's a quick take on some topical news. In honor of the, the French election? You got your you got
0: le quoi. Oh I did, but now Surly Hell Surly.
1: No, it was not about the Surly, but well said. It's... Le bill I mean you're much you're much more French than I am, so not very hard. Gotta defer to... Yeah. <laughs> gotta defer to you on that one. So this week, I'm actually focusing on something that feels a little bit more impactful to batting average, which is how many hits guys get and what that impact has on their batting average. Um, again, just to recap, last week, I really thought going into the season that I had a really good handle on batting average. Um, and I thought that I would pick an entire team of just above average batting average guys and mm-hmm. see how well it did for me. It hasn't been working out well so far, so I've been kind of left to cast around for an explanation. Last week, we talked about plate appearances and how I'd actually been incorrect in assuming that certain guys would would carry me because of their superior batting averages. It turns out that because they walk a lot, that they might not be as impactful with plate appearances. Thanks, Joey Votto.
0: Right, exactly. So
1: this week, we're going to concentrate on the hits, though, and see if we can actually find something there, and then we're going to kind of wrap it all up and put it all together with some thoughts on strategies to win batting average. All right, so hits. What actually constitutes a hit in the league? A couple weeks ago, we looked at what it took to make a home run in terms of launch angle and launch velocity. Um, This is, again, StatCast, big-time, shiny new toy in the analytics community and i put together a plot of all of the hits from august 2016 just picked a random month all of the hits the launch angle in degrees versus the launch speed and what i see when i make this plot and uh, hope maybe we'll get a chance to share this i see two clear tracks in this one where you you if you, as you hit the ball harder you can take a little off of the angle meaning that this to me is like hard hit grounders get through like you have to hit a grounder hard or it doesn't mm-hmm. get through but you can also get bloops where you don't hit them super hard but you give them enough angle to sort of to land in the outfields oh okay yep and then i'm seeing a second cluster that's sort of similar to where the home runs are that once you get up to that about a hundred mile an hour launch speed anything can go for a hit what do you think is this a fair interpretation
0: I think that you're getting close to it. Yeah, I, when I first saw this, I was like... I wasn't able to explain why the high launch angle, low speed would be able to get through. But yeah, bloops are definitely that. Okay, yeah. No, I see this. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. That means that there are two... Yeah, there's there is the batting average and balls in play kind of uh, mm-hmm. hits. And then there are the ones out
1: of the park. So basically, as long as you're consistently... If you can consistently hit the ball 90 miles an hour and harder, you're going to be doing better. If you're in the soft contact, then you kind of have to hit in a specialty range in order to get hits.
0: Yeah, listen up, Billy Hamilton.
1: Let's move on to something that that also doesn't appear to be impactful. Another this one's a little bit more of a surprise to me. I looked at the effect of K's and walks and all I did was make scatter plots of strikeouts versus number of hits for 2016 and walks versus number of hits for 2016. I thought for sure these were going to be telling us something about how good a batter's eye was. So essentially, I thought we were going to see that if you had a lot of Ks, that you were going to have fewer hits, at least just global number of hits like singles. And if you had more walks, you would have more hits also because you just have a better eye. So you're you're waiting and picking your pitch better. I don't see anything. Do you see any trend in either of these? I mean, games? I... I do see the slight trend on both of those,
0: but what the R squared has got to be like 12.12 12 or something really minuscule right. like that. Yeah, no, I mean, I see the trend, but yeah, it's not It's
1: not like the correlations that we'd want to be able to do any sort of modeling from. Yeah, there, there's no modeling. I really don't think there's any modeling to do here. And so for me, this is saying, I've actually sort of intuitively in the past, stayed away from high strikeout guys, assuming that they were going to hurt my team more. But I've noticed in the past that teams that have won our league have had led our league in strikeouts as well.
0: Marky Mark. Mark Reynolds is back.
1: (laughs) That's exactly right. It just hasn't... Yeah, exactly. Guys like that. Adam Dunn. Just hasn't mattered that they strike out a ton. And this plot is helping convince me that, oh... You know, you don't have to throw batting average if you have guys that get up there and strike out a quarter of the time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it doesn't matter if that guy gets an extra walk if he's seventh in the order and is not going to get around anyways. (sighs) Yeah,
1: no, that's you make a great point. And then at a little bit of a loss here, I was thinking about this. All right. So revised game plan. You know that if I can't come up with something that makes perfect theoretical sense, you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw some computer cycles at it. We're just going to Monte Carlo Uh the crap out of this problem. All right. So last week, I teased a little bit of the Monte Carlo with looking at how many plate appearances guys got in. I pretended like they had in any given week chunk. So I took took these four guys, Adrian Beltre, DJ LeMayhew, Jose Altuve, and Mike Trout, And I looked at how many plate appearances they totaled up over any random seven games during the 2016 year in a row. So I tried to account for whether they were, um, if they were playing a particular team. I didn't just pick seven random days. I started with a date and picked the next seven games. Okay. All right. So what I did here was I just sort of threw caution to the wind and I did the same thing except on batting average. So I started with a random day and I said, okay, over the next seven days, what were the batting average of these four players? Um, <laughs> got some interesting distributions. I don't know. I didn't think hard enough about this intuitively before I just let it loose. I mean, these are all guys yep. that were selected to be on the on the upper-ish end of batting average. Um, guys that I would have picked to be impactful. Mm-hmm. It's fair to say that they could show up anywhere between 150 and 500 in a given week
0: yeah wow yeah of course yeah that's anybody but
1: yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's bad i mean the the standard deviations on these i don't know if you're looking at this but the standard deviations on these are 100 are insane 100 i mean they're all they're all basically they're basically all centered on 300 but one standard deviation is 100 points so they could hit between 200 and just as likely between 200 and 400. Yeah.
0: Two-thirds of the distribution is going to fall between 200 and 400. And
1: there, there is a little bit of a skew here on different sides here. Um, and I have just a couple of quick uh-huh. hits here. I would say, you know, Adrian Beltre appears to be the most peaked. Um, he's rock steady, more or less. He has the smallest um, standard deviation as well. He's basically going to hit 300, which is pretty much why I was hoping to get him. DJ Mayhew is doesn't have as bad of weeks so his distribution tilts to the positive so for instance his average week came out at 332 um with a positive lean so i mean he of course won the batting title last year so this shouldn't be extremely surprising but no nope. jose altuve is a little bit flatter so these guys are really starting to distance separate themselves now uh, he could he pretty much could legitimately give you anywhere between 150 and 500 in a week Oh, and he has. And, and I know I was gonna say, and he has done that to you, and then uh, but geez, wh- I mean <laughs> he's given me weeks of six hundred. Yeah, yeah, I know, and he's given me weeks where I think that he's got only one hit. So yeah, <laughs> and uh, Mike Trout is bringing up the rear here in terms of distributions. He he was the least um, the least impactful if you if you grab him on on batting average in terms of his how his distribution is. I'd be pretty upset, you know, thinking about the number one player in baseball if he turned in three 240 weeks in a row yeah but oh yeah but that's totally possible i mean the the most likely value in this monte carlo was 240 but it turns out that batting average is still probably not the fair way to think about this so i actually took a step back and just focused on the numerator um, and looked at hits so how many hits are these guys actually getting in a week And I'm going to say that I think that this is actually the plot and this is actually the distribution that you want to be maximizing to help drive your team average up. So it's been a really long roundabout way to get here, but I would say that the raw number of hits is going to be the most impactful thing. All right, so let me just talk through these four guys again. It turns out that, again, we're seeing, we saw this in the previous plot, but Mike Trout is not actually the guy who's going to drive your team average up. I mean, don't get me wrong, he's going to drive all of your team's other stats up but there are weeks where he's not going to get that many hits be both a combination of the number of plate appearances that he has and that he, he's driving value in other ways. He's being very efficient with his hits. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think the only guy out of these four and maybe the only guy in the entire league that's going to do drive your average is going to be DJ LeMahieu. real quick takeaways here. I would say it's been such a roundabout path, but Counting the raw number of hits that guys get in a week and looking at that over seven game stretches um, is actually the real impact on your batting average um, and then but don't throw don't discount all the things that we talked about last week look at the the PA number for adjustments as to some of the expected impact And then just from the beginning of this conversation if you want to check that hits are legit, you can use this statcast template that we came up with here talking about, things that we think are extra base hits and versus just standard singles Mm -hmm. um and just seeing where your guy's distribution falls and maybe what you can expect from him yeah we may have to do that in the future with some case studies i think i'm definitely going to revisit that there's definitely stuff to mine there um it's just maybe a little harder to figure out what it is first
0: and who and who to look at
1: yeah and who to look at for sure and then the last point uh walks and k's are not affecting average to a large extent so if you like your guide, don't bother taking K's and walks into consideration when you're counting them up for average. Maybe for other things, especially if you're in a league, obviously, where K's hurt you. But in a in a regular just batting average league, <laughs> with no penalty for K's, I mean, go ahead and stock up on them. It's not gonna matter. All right. Wanna do the wrap, bud? Yeah, uh I mean I'm a little sad because I know what topic is coming. Yes, you wanted me to tell you about how I'm feeling about the closer situation. Yeah, buddy. Uh, I mean, I know, I know that you're not feeling too positive either. But Zach Britton shows up. He appears in two games, and he's back on the DL. Does not look good. Uh, really, really not feeling good about that one. I'm, I'm feeling so not good that I seriously invested in Fernando Rodney. Mm, yeah, I hope you held your nose. Yeah, that's <laughs> if. That is the sign.
0: If that doesn't tell you how dire things have gotten in the closer front, yeah, I, I mean,
1: you really hit the the injury bug there. Well, I mean, you're not exactly uh, ranking in the saves right now either. So, no, and that's what's that's what's insane.
0: I had zero saves last week, and I had Kenley Jansen and Dave Robertson, two uh-huh. of the best closers this year, let alone of the last couple of years. But well, none. Like and like really, I don't think they even had any opportunities. It's not like they were blowing. Them. <laughs> it was a bizarro week for you. Yeah, that doesn't typically happen. But you know, that's
1: that saves for you, right? Uh I mean that's saves is the ultimate Poisson statistics category. Yep. Man, one of us has gotta get our feet under us on closers because we the the tools are just <laughs> blowing it right now on saves. Just blowing it for like the thirty in a <laughs> row too (laughs) yeah i know this is not a new occurrence either
0: so did you give anyone the obligatory may the fourth um salutations you know i
1: tried i tried to stay away from speaking it but where it did creep into my life logged in spotify just you know just browsing around what is this may the fourth spotify playlist i don't even have to cobble together my own star wars soundtracks (laughs) yes absolutely yeah are they keeping that up? Um, you know, it still exists, but it's really hard to find. Huh? So I've been uh, I've been making sure that I keep it in my recent listens. <laughs> so you know, come back to it every every day. You know, make sure that I'm make sure that I'm doing it make sure it's still there yeah you just you never want to lose track of of all that stuff cuz they they do a good job of mixing in the stuff and you know i actually hadn't listened to this is is maybe a little too much on this but i actually hadn't listen, really listened to the rogue one soundtrack oh really yeah. wow it's pretty good it is pretty good so this this was a nice excuse to uh to celebrate some nerd culture and get into that
0: yeah it's not even john williams nope. but you know it's pretty good all right well i think that brings us to the review session hmm Citrus fruit. Mike, you want to take the floor?
1: I, I, have, I have one thing to say to start on citrus fruit here, which is that I wish that we were still in the early 20th century where an orange is an acceptable Christmas present. <laughs> <laughs> like Citrus fruits are just so special and so revered that you could just legitimately give one as a Christmas present and people would have to be happy about it.
0: And would be excited, yeah. Oh no! Oh, you gave me a lime this year. Ooh, well, that'll be a little tart, but yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> I, I'm in on citrus fruit. I would totally give citrus as a gift. You know, as a kid, I really loved citrus fruit. I was like all
1: about oranges and lemons and limes.
0: Please don't tell me that this is about to turn
1: into like this is it's too acidic for my teeth or something.
0: Oh no, oh, okay. no, no, no! And you know my uh, my old <laughs> lemon water <laughs> yes. routine. I don't know how I have any teeth.
1: uh, You you showed up to college with legitimately like those those things at BJ's that they're so large that they put the handle together to hold multiple bottles. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Like,
1: what does this dude have? Like, why does he have this? And uh, I don't know. Maybe it took a week, and I was like totally hooked. Like, oh, (laughs) diluted diluted lemon juice and in water (laughs) sounds great.
0: Yeah, man. No, that was that was awesome. No, I I was bringing this up because I didn't have a good way of of trying to encapsulate the like Tangello haloification ah. of like all the the citrus fruits that have the very very shiny um, peels mm-hmm. that taste extremely sweet. I don't like those. I really I really take offense to them. Yeah, I. And I feel like it's been affecting my love for tart lemons and, like, just, you know, eating lime wedges off of the table. Oh, man. No, I, I completely
1: agree. Like, I think if there was ever a good reason to take a tequila shot, it's just to aggressively get that lime wedge at the end.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that's that's my favorite part of a tequila <laughs> shot.
1: It's just like, you know, I'll take your lime shot, I'll take your lime, your lime. I agree you with you. Like, the, the cloyingly sweet citrus has got a problem for me. Like, give me... Make sure that there's plenty of acid bite in there. Yeah, there's gotta be. Though,
0: I, but then it's also like just like how pretty they are. There's something like, there's something awesome about having one of those oranges that's like actually mostly yellow. And you're like, ooh, I don't know. This one's probably not gonna be that good. And then you like have a wedge of it and you're like, this is the best orange that I've had in,
1: in months. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. You know, there are those times you slice into an orange and you're like, this is so yellow. Why? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> well, it's because it, it's already taken all of the sugars from the peel. That's what happens when it turns yellow, is that from the orange, the orange is, uh, there's more sugar in the peel than there is in the actual fruit. What a productive science lesson. Uh, there you go. Hopefully that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, time for a little housekeeping. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter, Fantasy Tools, Mind the Z. Thank you, Mild Manor, for letting us use your tunes. Be sure to follow them on SoundCloud and Facebook. Feel free to email us with questions or comments. Send us messages at fantasy.tools at gmail.com. Again, Mind the Z. All I've got left for you is worse of luck to you, buddy. Worst of luck to you, too.